In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Because of the handicap that was uh, afflicting the blind man, he knew what he wanted. He knew what was needed in his life. Those of us who do not have some compelling handicap very often live our life month after year without really considering what it is that we lack, what it is that we need. For example, if we are not legally blind, are we blind? We may be blind, even though we can see. But we do not know that we are blind, because it seems that we can see. And so, in our blindness, we do not come before God and say, Oh, my Savior, give me sight. But this man knew precisely and exactly what it was that he wanted more than anything else, and about that there was no question. We very frequently think that we know what we want. We are living through an era in human history where the human passion for wanting things has become an industry. And there is a certain sense in which society is organized in such a way as to titillate our wanting things. And the presence of these vast cathedrals of sales, our malls, cater to this. We have even gutted the feast of the incarnation of the pre-eternal Son of God in such ways as it simply becomes yet another opportunity for sales. But even though we may have many wants, many desires, even though we grow up as children in a culture which wants us to write letters to Santa Claus to tell him what we want, in fact, in any deep, any serious sense, if we were suddenly to be stopped and asked not what frivolous little thing we would like to have, some little tinselly bauble we would like to have on the coffee table, if we were to be asked a question which was like a knife delving into the very core of our existence, what is it that you want? Then perhaps we would put our pencils down from the letters to Santa Claus that in different ways we constantly are writing even as adults. And we would have to admit that we just don't know. And it would be a very prolonged, I suspect for most of us, a protracted exercise in self-examination to find out what it is, after all, that we want. What is the deep core of all our desire? 
And if we are frank and capable of terrible honesty, it just might turn out at the end of the day that that thing that stripped of all else we really want is something quite humiliating, quite terrible. And to the degree that it defines us, and it does at a level of depth, our actual true desire may be lethal. Well, Christ, in fact, all the Gospels simply boil down in a certain sense to just that question. Christ looks us right in the eye and he says, What do you want? No, what do you want? And if we, if we are capable of an answer, perhaps after a great deal of soul-searching, and we say, well, it turns out that in spite of all the superficial thoughts that I had about what I want, it turns out that what I really want is this thing right here. Christ always then stands between me and the actual object of my actual deep desire and says to me, good, now choose because it is always that choice we are always confronted with that choice and nowhere more perfectly than in today's story where we are dealing with a man who did not like most of us who did not have to go through any protracted agonizing self-examination soul-searching and the rest of it who knew perfectly well from the moment he woke up every day of his life until he fell asleep that night, just what he wanted and wanted most of all, just what he needed most of all. So, the record of this particular encounter is that the man cries out. And this makes of this particular gospel, a gospel that is much pondered by monastics, because the man is crying out of his blindness, crying out into the darkness of everything that is not interior to himself, crying out of that black, hopeless despair, crying out for what? That this man, about whom even he, the blind man, sitting in his beggar's place, even he has heard of him, and he is crying out to him, and that is what is at the heart of all human prayer. And it becomes prayer, as St. Simeon, the new theologian, insists, when it is invested with just that much energy, just that much neediness, wanting, desiring, yearning, hungering, thirsting to come before God in just that state of self-knowledge, certain against all the evidence 
that God can change everything, even the most intractable, lumpy parts of myself, that that can be changed like so. And the people who are around the man are telling him, for God's sake, shut up! You're creating a row. You're making a, a mess of this. You're disturbing the peace. <laughs> and the man shouted out all the more and the more loudly. Now here we are. This is prayer. Look at it. Look it in the face. A man who is capable of such shouting and yelling from the heart of his existence. Help! Help! This is prayer. And what is the reaction of the God-man? He comes before this shouting, yelling blindness. This hopeless one. This beggar. And he stands still. We look at this stillness of God in the presence of all human need, all human prayer, all that comes from that which is true and authentic. And God stands still before that. And he says, what do you want? What a perfect answer to such pleading, such despair, such begging hopelessness. This man who begs for pennies is now begging to be rendered normal and natural and complete. He asks, may God help him, he asks to see. The pagans understood how important all this was. In that play that is perhaps the most sobering of all that comes to us from pre-Christian times. The plays of Sophocles about that poor man, Oedipus. Oedipus had a driving need to know the truth, no matter the cost to the kingdom, no matter the cost to himself. But pagans did not have God. They had demons. And in the end, when Oedipus at long last agonizingly learns the truth, the awful, the impossible, the terrible truth, he takes a knife and strikes out his own eyes. It is the reversal of the story in the Gospel. Knowing the truth, he becomes blind. But in Christ, that is not our fate. In Christ, we learn to see, we will see, we do see, and out of our sightedness, out of our vision, we must stand and pray with just the same identical urgency 
the same emergency. Because no longer blind, the man will see his own mortality. I am dying, he will say. Give me life, O thou who hast given me sight. And now that I see, may it come to pass that I live and live forever. What a story! What an incident in the history of God standing before this unnamed, anonymous, begging blind man. That day he begged for something quite different, out of the ordinary, not the normal thing at all. And that day the response was miraculous. In the epistle it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that is exactly the truth. It is the whole truth and it is nothing but the truth. If there is an incident in any day in which you and I have failed to love, then we have not lived in the Spirit that day. We have not been there where we must be, where we ought to be, where we should be. And so we have a prayer, don't we, that we can offer up to God with all the passion of the blind man. O Lord, send me thy Spirit, that I may live in him, in order that Christ may live in me, and may the fruit of my spirit be love. And if we need to remind ourselves what is love, there is that other epistle to the Corinthians to sharpen our memories. Glory to God for all things on this feast of the monastery and through the intercessions of St. Gregory of Sinai. May we access the Spirit, and may the fruit of our day be love. Amen.